Hey everyone, as I announced in episode 171, I'm beyond excited that you can now take your well-being journey one step further with our line of Mind Body Green Supplements Plus, a daily choice that we believe will truly redefine your expectations of what it means to be healthy. In this very special episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Bob Roundtree, pioneering functional medicine doctor and scientific advisor at Thorne. We partnered with Thorne on formulating every one of our products as they're the supplements brand most trusted by medical practitioners, and it was through deep and thoughtful conversations like the one we're about to dive into with Bob that our brand new line was created. We're going to give you a glimpse into how we crafted the line, walking you through each key ingredient and the latest science so you can hear firsthand how we created targeted, efficacious, science-backed solutions for some of the problems so many of us are facing and thinking about. This week, we're tackling gut health and probiotics, as both can be complicated and confusing. For our probiotic, we sought out targeted workhorse strains for some common issues like bloating, regularity, combined digestive support, and healthy weight maintenance. So we created Probiotic Plus. Get this, guys, the only probiotic in the world with four strains clinically shown to beat bloating, maintain regularity, and a healthy weight. Personally, I've struggled with regularity and bloating for as long as I can remember, and I've tried every diet, every product out there, and the only thing that's worked for me personally is our product, Probiotic Plus. So I am so excited to share with you the science that Bob and I talked about in developing this product. You can check it out at shop.mindbuddygreen.com probiotic. Bob, welcome back. Hi there. Good to see you. Good to see you as always. So this week we're going to talk about a problem a lot of people have, a problem that I've had in the past, gut health, bloating, digestion. I what, know them well. Yeah, they're all sort of interconnected. What are, what are common signs of poor gut health? How do people know if something is wrong? Yeah. It's generally based on symptoms. Right. It's not based on a test. You know, this is not like hypertension where they have no idea and they go to a doctor and told your blood pressure is high. Usually people don't have good gut health. They got a pretty good idea of it. You know, they don't feel well. They don't feel comfortable. They feel uh, a lack of ease, kind of a sensitivity of their gut. They may have cramping, pain, bloating either right after a meal or bloating a few hours later. Um, you know, they don't have regular bowel movements, regular stools. It's really the rare individual that will tell me in my office, yeah, I go once a day, regular rain, no problem, everything's fine. Um, and I think that's because chronic gut problems are really endemic in our society. Um, and I think, uh, I think there's some reasons for that. I mean, you know, we've got antibiotics in our food supply, for God's sake. Like what? How dumb is that? How dumb is it that we put antibiotics in animal feed so the animals will grow faster, and not think, well, wait a minute, aren't those antibiotics going to end up in our food? You know, they're going to end up in the chicken. There were, you know, are, isn't it bad to be eating antibiotics? Like, don't we <laughs> save antibiotics for infections? So if you're eating antibiotics every day and are back bacteria in our gut are sensitive to antibiotics. What's that going to do to the balance of bacteria in our gut? Um, Martin Blazer, I think you've sure. maybe interviewed him. I know? haven't interviewed him, but I know who he is. Yeah. a lot of great work it's in the microbiome. Right here in New yeah. York. And uh, he, 
uh, wrote a book called The Missing Microbes, you know, and he basically, you know, says, stop the killing. I love, I, I've right. used that as, as a slide when I give a presentation on the human microbiome is he says, stop the killing, that we're, we're killing off the healthy bacteria in our gut with these antibiotics. Um, and there's also certain herbicides that are acting as antibiotics. And one of the best examples of that is Roundup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Been in the news a lot recently. Well, in the news a lot because a couple of court cases just got settled, um, you know, where where Monsanto basically got fined huge amounts of money for saying that they they knew that these chemicals could cause cancer, but they kept making them. Well, the, a bigger problem that not many people know about is that glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, is an antibiotic. Mm. It was initially licensed as an antibiotic. And that's a bad thing because basically Roundup is in all of us now. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't have to live. You don't have to live in a farm. You can eat organic food. So here we have this antibiotic that we're you're peeing out in our urine, which means it's we're consuming it, and it's an antibiotic, and it's messing up the balance of bacteria in your gut. And what does that do? You know that that keeps you from having regularity. Why is that so important? What what does poor gut health lead to? Kind of a lot of bad stuff, right? A lot of really bad things. Um, you know, just a simple example is it's we have uh, an increase in inflammatory bowel disease in our society, right? Ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and it has been shown that the more courses of antibiotics a person takes, the more likely they are to get ulcerative colitis. So you have a kid with an ear infection. The doctor says, oh, just give them amoxicillin. It's no problem. And then you do it again and again and again and again. And then all of a sudden, you know, this kid is in college and starts having really serious problems. So it's quite clear that disrupting the what's called the gut microbiome, which is the mix of healthy bacteria in the gut, can have a direct effect on the immune system. We also know that there's this old scenario called leaky gut. Mm-hmm. And my mainstream colleagues, when they used to hear that term, they would laugh, right? Oh, give me a break, leaky <laughs> gut. That's, you're one of those new age doctors, right? How can I take you seriously? And now there's a, a paper in, you know, a journal every day published on intestinal hyperpermeability. So it's, it's taken very seriously by the mainstream community. So what's going on? The, the idea is that you get an imbalance of bacteria, you get too much unhealthy bacteria and not enough of the healthy bacteria, and that opens up the pores, um, it's for want of a better term, they're not real pores, but they're, they're, they're gates between the cells of the gut. If you open up those gates, then it allows things to get in the bloodstream that shouldn't get in the bloodstream. And the immune system sees that, and the immune system says, hey, you're not supposed to be here, and gets activated, and next thing you know, we've got autoimmune disease. So we're not just talking about discomfort, right? Yeah. We're not, I mean, those those are the, you know, the tip of the iceberg. So if we think at the extreme end, we're talking leaky gut, IBS, extreme IBS, autoimmune, really really bad stuff. Rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. But, you know, when I think of most people, uh, myself included in the past, you know, I think of bloating. Yep. I think of yep. weight gain and that connection. Yep. And talk about that connection. And a lot of, I think a lot of people suffer from bloating 
and and struggling with weight and and the connection with gut health and why that's so important you know it's it's certainly been an observation that people have made for years that you can have two people on exactly the same diet with exactly the same physical level of activity one person eats the same food and gains weight hmm. and the other one doesn't gain weight what the heck uh, you know, and I can think of how many conversations I've had with with patients, you know, college kids will say, my roommate eats exactly the same thing. We buy food together. We go to the grocery store. We buy the same food. I eat the same meals and I gain weight. Well, you know what? We can reproduce that effect in rats. We can show exactly the same thing in rats. And we can take obese rats, overweight rats, and we can take rats that are basically eating the same diet that are not getting overweight, right? They're eating rat chow, right? So it's totally controlled. But there's some, some rats that genetically will get fatter on the same diet. So you can take that rat that's genetically getting fatter and you can take a sample of its stool. Imagine that. <laughs> and take a sample of that and put it into the other rat by transplant. And the other rat will get fat. This has been done multiple times. There's examples of people who've gotten fecal transplants for other reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody will get uh, antibiotic-associated diarrhea. So there's a terrible illness caused by a bacteria, Clostridium difficile. And the the only effective treatment for it is a, a fecal transplant. So there was a story of a woman who got a fecal transplant from her daughter. Her daughter had been tested, seemed fine, her weight was normal, no chronic illness. She gets the transplant and immediately starts gaining weight, and so does the daughter. <laughs> so somehow the daughter had picked up a bacteria that predisposed to weight gain. Predisposed to weight gain. Can you imagine that? Right. But she hadn't picked it up yet, but she had picked it up in the early stages. She gives it to her mother, and her mother gets overweight. So what I'm saying is there is no question that the bacteria in our gut can affect our weight gain. There's no question. And microbiome. The microbiome. I mean, you know, we we used to not take this very seriously. We used to think if you don't have diarrhea, you know, if you're not sick, then you must be fine. <laughs> and that's because uh, we only had the ability to grow what we could culture. So you do a stool sample and then you take it to the lab and then you, you put it in a test tube with certain kind of nutrients and you see what grows. And, you know, if a person got sick, you know, we could look for particular bacteria and say you have salmonella, right? But then we developed these techniques uh, based on DNA analysis that allowed us to look at everything that's there. And, you know, our, our mutual friend Chris Mason is, you know, one of the pioneers yeah. in, in doing this. Um, this work and he's the guy that's actually been going up on the international he's not going there personally but getting swabs from the international space station and yeah you know and he saying, mapped the subway system map, he's York. the guy <laughs> that mapped the subway system of here and now all over the planet and you know so these guys are going crazy with their ability to say there are a lot more bugs out there than we ever imagined there are a lot more bugs in our gut than we ever imagined there's bugs with no names to them 
I think that's what they found in the subway system. Yeah. Something like 40% of the bugs that they found had no names. Aliens living in there the New York City subway system. And, and in our guts. <laughs> and our guts. So I, you know, I'm, I'm saying this because I think, yeah, I, I love doing the, the stool testing. And I, and I do this regularly in my practice. But I think we're just beginning to learn what we might find. You know, we're like the early explorers. And we're finding these DNA sequences and going, oh, maybe this it. So we're, I think we're on the verge of discovering what the bacteria might be that could be causing this obesity problem. And, right. and if, you, if you ask the question, how, how could that work? Well, certain bacteria are better at extracting energy from food than others. It's that simple. Right? So if a bacteria is really good at extracting energy, you know, then, then again, you can eat the same food and basically turn it into fat. Right. So bloating, digestion, connection yes. with microbiome, you, you mentioned food. So a lot of people say, okay, bloating, digestion, microbiome, they think probiotics. And they think, pro yep. then they think food with probiotics. Yep. Yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha. Yep. Good, but Those not necessarily are great. enough. Those foods are great. I recommend them all the time to people. Not everyone tolerates them. Some people eat sauerkraut and they get a lot of bloating. You know, they, they don't digest the, um, the cabbage that's in the sauerkraut. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly a good start. And, the, and where did the whole concept of probiotics come from? I think it was from the Cossacks, right, that made the kefir that would carry, you know, this, mm -hmm. this fermented milk that would carry around in these little pouches and drink it. And then, you know, they live for a long time if they weren't shot <laughs> okay so you know it, it came from the observation that there were certain foods you know yogurt kefir foods like that that were beneficial you know and then those foods got studied and then they started finding hey there's something in there that might be beneficial lactobacillus right and so it started that you know the, the king of all probiotics is lactobacillus and there's many different ones. There's Lactobacillus acidophilus, uh, you know, just, but now there's dozens of Lactobacillus strains. So that all come from looking at fermented milk products. So yeah, fermented products are great, you know, and for people that tolerate them, don't have an issue with them, they're fine. But they're not particularly potent. And, you know, I preface this whole conversation by saying, hey, we are, you know, living in a un precedent a time where we're swimming in antibiotics and swimming in roundup you know which is even a, if you try to avoid it it's even if you do everything you can even if you never take a prescription for antibiotics i guarantee you're getting exposed to them so you know according to dr blazer our gut microbiome is under assault so maybe for the cossacks you know it was fine to not have to take a pill or a powdered probiotic. You know, they didn't need it. But the need has never been greater now, I think, for something to help basically restore the balance. So, you know, I, I would venture a guess and say even a person that's not having symptoms, chances are if I did a really thorough analysis, uh, DNA analysis of the gut microbiome, I could find something wrong. Right, so er basically everyone should probably be taking a probiotic. I think starting in childhood. Right. I mean, it's probably the, you know, the first supplement that I that I start kids. You know, other than just a multi with like, 
A, C, and D, and and a little bit of iron. But I mean, it's you know, it's something that all age groups can benefit from. So there are tons out there. It's another you know we say like. This, this space can be confusing. I think supplements can be confusing. I think, you know, we, CBD can be confusing. And then probiotics can be confusing. You've got tons of strains. You've got the billions question. So what, what's the... Billions and billions. Billions and billions. So like what, in your estimation, like what's the, what's the biggest problem with probiotics and what should people be looking for? And where do probiotics, you know, over-promise, under-deliver? And what does the science say? Okay, well, there's a there's a couple of issues here, so it's not just one. You know, yes. one is are you getting, you know, it's sort of like with CBD. Are you getting what you think you're getting? Right, right. Um, a lot of companies will say they have 10 billion organisms. Are you really getting 10 billion organisms? You know, maybe they had 10 billion uh, when they first put it together in their lab, but by the time it got to you, did it have 10 billion? You know, so you you need to know you're dealing with a legitimate manufacturer that has mm-hmm. experience keeping these strains stable. Um, so that's pretty important because if you if you think you're buying something that's say got 450 billion in it, um, and that, there's a very popular strain that a lot of doctors know about. Uh, we're, we're not going to name any names sure. t- today, but there's a very popular one that says it's got 450 billion. Colony forming units. That's how you look at uh, at the, the activity of a probiotic. Um, well, I have talked to microbiologists that have actually analyzed the product and say, by the time you get that home, you may have lost half of that, <laughs> half of it. So they put four hundred fifty billion in there because it just doesn't last that long. So you want something that's got a good stability, got, you know, got a good shelf life. And that's, that's kind of guaranteed to have the number. And then you want to have strains that have actually been well-researched. Right. Right? So that's really important because every bacteria does different things. Right? They've all got an assigned job. Right? And, and there are actually ways to study this. So, again, beginning with lactobacillus, um, you know, we, we began to characterize these strains and grow them in the lab and actually get to the point where we know the genetics of an individual strain so we can prove that it's that strain. So the biggest concern I have is when I see a probiotic that says, oh, this has got a little lactobacillus and it's got a little bifidobacteria. And I go, really, which strains? What strains are you talking about? And if the company doesn't know what I'm talking about, then I would say I would run. <laughs> so I would run. And that, you know, that's typical of like a yogurt product, right? A yogurt product is not going to characterize the specific strains. So something, most of them. something we've also talked about, and I think you see this with a lot out there, is what, what we what you call the sledgehammer approach with regards to... Well, that's using these massive numbers... And everything. Uh, just let's let's just put everything in there instead of being really targeted. So you know, I use different probiotics for different things, right? There, you know, if I had a kid with recurrent ear infections, I would use a probiotic that's specifically designed to improve the immune system. Right. Right. This kid doesn't have any gut problems, so I'm not going after that. And there are probiotics 
that are specifically designed to help boost immunity in kids. And they've got four or five published studies on them, right? So this is, you know, this is not out of the realm of possibility. This is stuff that's very well established. So uh, what the science says about efficacy, it's got to be targeted. It's got to be targeted, and, and you want to see a published study. So you want to know there's a published study using that strain. So what do I mean by a strain? So, um, the you know, the typical way you refer to a bacteria is called the Latin binomial. So you would say lactobacillus acidophilus, right? So that's the binomial, you know, so the genus and species, right? But that's not enough. So the lactobacillus acidophilus could have a zillion different strains. Right. You know, and, and we talked, in, in, in some ways it's analogous to a discussion you have had, you and I have had in the past about the difference between broccoli and cauliflower sure. and cabbage and Brussels sprouts, which are all the same plant, right? But different strains of the same plant, you know, could look like a cabbage with a big ball or Brussels sprouts with the tiny little balls on them. So there's that much difference in genetic expression, right, from one strain to another. So if you said, let's take the Lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM strain. You know, that's a numbered strain. It's registered with the government. Um, there's, oh my gosh, there must be 30 years of research on the NCFM strain. 30 years of research on it. So it was like one of the original strains that somebody actually said, let's let's keep this genetic lineage going. And you might ask, well, how do you how do you do that? Well, the same way you keep a Brussels sprouts limit lineage going, right? You keep it, you know, in a controlled environment. You don't let it get influenced. There's no other bacteria there. So you know you're getting what you're getting. And you've got to be really careful because you know, one, you could have one bad bacteria drop down from the sky into the vat right. and it can contaminate the whole bunch. I mean, we, we know that can happen with, with blue-green algae, for example. Right. So if we're talking about, okay, probiotics, to summarize, need to be specific, they need to be targeted around and specific and researched yep. for specific issues. So if we're talking, you know, this episode, bloating, digestion and weight management, all related you like NCFM. What else do you like for the specific issue, which I think so many people struggle with, myself included? Uh, what are your other favorite strains? Um, well, there are a number of bifidobacterium strains. So, you know, probably the, the two best known uh, probiotic uh, genuses are lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. Uh, bifidobacteria tend to predominate more in the colon and the lactobacillus more in the small intestine but they're both found in both places, right? So those are the ones that have been around the longest. I, the, the way I would think about lactobacilli and bifidobacteria is I would call them workhorses. I love that. Right? They're workhorse strains, um, and they're workhorses because we know they do a lot of things, because they're well-researched, uh, because they have a high safety index. Oh, another little thing to, to mention is that... Um, the genes and these bacteria can get swapped really easily. And so one thing you want to look out for is bacteria that have been uh, evaluated to make sure they don't have antibiotic resistance genes. Mm, right? Big thing right now. It's a big thing. And any good company, you know, if you go with a reliable company, you can assume that they've done that testing. They may not, you know, state that right up front on the label. But if you go, this is from that manufacturer, 
I know I'm good. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not going to be taking something that's going to introduce a gene into my gut that's going to make me resistant to antibiotics. So that's kind of a big deal. So it's a long-winded way of saying, okay, we got lactobacillus, we got acidophilus, and a bunch of other types of acidophilus. We have the NCFM strain, and then we have a number of different bacteria, uh, bifidobacteria. Bifidobacterium lactis is probably one of the best known. Mm-hmm. Um, there's bifidobacterium bifidum and bifidobacterium lactis, really common strain, common uh, genus and species. And then of the lactis, there's several different strains of the lactis, each of which does something slightly different. And why is it doing that? Because different genes are turned on, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, this isn't a one-time deal. You grow the stuff in the vat. It's a controlled environment. You test it repeatedly, and you go, yeah, this is doing what we said it would do. And then you test it in animals, and then you test it in humans. So it's about getting the target. So what is the target? What's the, what's the problem? Yep. It's about making sure we're testing this in humans. Yep. It's about the right mix going yep. back to like this this entourage this super entourage yep and you know going back to the billions it, it's it's having a something that's critical but not absurd like 500 billion or, or so like more doesn't necessarily equal better there's a general bar par- ballpark and the ballpark for a particular strain is somewhere between you know i'd say one and 50 billion right Right, that seems like a huge range, but keep in mind that the kind of the number of bacteria we're talking about in the gut are in the tens of trillions. Right, they I think they used to say a hundred trillion, and they kind of backed off on that a little bit. We're talking about trillions, so we're talking about the total bacteria in the gut being an order of magnitude higher. And the the way I think about this is that these uh, probiotics are seeding the clouds. Right? It isn't like you give a person bifidobacterium lactis and that's going to take over. I, you know, I've actually heard a criticism of probiotics where somebody said, oh, it's a monoculture. It's not a monoculture. Yeah, you're giving a monoculture, but it's not going to take over the gut. Right? You've got tri- tens of trillions of bacteria in the gut and you're giving you know, 5 to 10 billion. Right. Right. It's more analogous to you're going to plant a row of cabbage in a farm. I love that. Right. It's one row of cabbage in the farm. And, you know, with integrative, you know, about integrative pest management, which is saying instead of spraying with pesticides, you you plant certain plants next to each other that ward off certain insects. Sure. Right. So you get just the right mix. And so that's kind of what's going on here is this is integrative pest management. Right. So so you're planning. So, we, <laughs> you know, so we well, there's bad guys that can accumulate in the gut because they're resistant to the glyphosate or resistant to the antibiotics in our food. And so we're coming back in and saying, OK, we're going to put in a row of cabbage. We're going to put in a row of bifidobacterium lactis as insurance against that. Right. So, you know, one way to another way to think about it is there the probiotics are like good cops we're introducing <laughs> we're putting in the good cops and you know the good cops can keep watch over the bad guys so how would so there's a strain for example bifidobacterium laxus b lactus bi07 that's been shown to reduce bloating how might that work uh, well one way it could do that is to suppress the growth of bacteria that are going to ferment the food and produce gas 
So, you know, they're, they're Personally, active. I don't like when I have gas. I'm sure most people Most will people agree. don't. Well, it's kind of a, unfortunately, it's a fact of life. <laughs> you know, it's, there, isn't there a book on that? There's, I'm sure there every, is. You know, everyone, bur- everyone burps, everyone does, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So why does that happen? It happens because there's rapid fermentation. So we're, we're fermenting our foods all the time. And here's the, uh, just want to throw something out. Prebiotics like inulin, you know, fructooligosaccharides are actually a good way to bring about healthy bacteria in our gut. But a lot of people, when they eat those things, will get a little bit of gas in the beginning, right? That's so, okay. So that's okay. So, you know, I always say, well, just start slow because, you know, gas by itself is not necessarily a problem. But when you get bloating and pain, and that's excessive fermentation. That's excessive gas. And using a probiotic like the Bifidobacterium laxus BIO7 right. is, a you know, one kind of bit of insurance against having that happen. So what's the biggest, if you had to sum up, like what's the biggest uh, misconception out there around bloating, around probiotics? Well, I would say one misconception is that probiotics can cause bloating. You know, because I do, I see people with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. SIBO. SIBO, you know, <laughs> which is a, it's a real problem. You know, there's no question about it. And I've, I've seen people whose lives are miserable as a result of it. And then I say, okay, I want you to take a probiotic. And they're like, wait a minute, this is bacterial overgrowth. And you're telling me to take bacteria. And they go, well, that can't be right. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Well, actually, the research is on my side. <laughs> Sorry, I've got the papers. I know what I'm talking about. The, you know, when you introduce these bacteria that are, as I said, working like cops, right? They're working like cops to keep the big bloaters under control. Right. Uh, that makes a difference. So, you know, you got SIBO. You got two options. One is you can just come in there with big guns, more antibiotics, and just blast everything. <laughs> well, that works for two to four weeks. And then the recurrence rate is super high, right? So the rifaxin is the, the one that's used a lot. It costs $1,000 for treatment. Wow. 1000 bucks to do that. So people will do that. And I've had patients come in and beg for it. Please give me some rifaxin. So I give them the drug because they really wanted it. Okay, that's where you want to go. We'll do it. And then a month later, they come back and go, now what have you got? You know, right. well, what we want to do is introduce healthy bacteria. That's the best long-term solution. So it's a huge misconception, I think, that just because you have bloating, that bacteria will make the bloating worse. So my, last, do that. my last question, something that came to mind to me, and I think there's general confusion about this, is refrigeration versus non-refrigeration do all probiotics need to be in the fridge well you don't want your probiotics sitting in the sun (laughs) right i mean they're bacteria right and they will die off over time but if you have a good quality probiotic it should be shelf stable Mm -hmm. you know and and you want an expiration date on the label so if you got an expiration date on the label you're pretty then, good. Then you're they're well off. So the expiration date means, you know, just use it before this time. Even so, there should be some left in there, right? Right. There should be some. So gener- to be honest, what most companies do is they produce what's called an overage. Yep. So, you know, if it says $10 billion, chances are there's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. So the, it, the manufacturer has factored in 
the the die-off. the The reality is that um, that most people are not really consistent about refrigerating their probiotics. Well, to me, it's like doesn't have to be in the fridge, and and don't put it in the sun. It's like yeah, kind of try to keep it stable, and you're pretty good. Uh, you know, the, again, the issue is when I when I recommend a, a probiotic that has to be refrigerated then people will tell me, I forget to take it every day. <laughs> right, because I got all my supplements on shelf A, and then I got this on the shelf in the refrigerator, and I very consistently right. forget to do it. And so I would rather have somebody take something every day and be consistent about it. I agree, 100% agreed, especially when it comes to gut health and, yep. and, and digestion and all that, all that stuff we need help with. Yep. Bob, thanks so much. Once again, a pleasure. You can check out more at shop.mindbuddygreen.com slash probiotic.